Welcome, everybody, to the 20th episode of the Lowdown Society podcast. Coming to you almost live from beautiful Woodland Hills, California. Uh, today's guest was the guy who helped me get my first road gig, major road gig in Nashville, Tennessee, a million years ago, which I'll be talking to him about. Uh, he's held down one of the biggest gigs in America for the last 16 years for country pop crossover superstar household name Carrie Underwood. Mark is just a tremendously soulful uh, player. And, and when I first bumped into him in Nashville, his soulfulness and his approach struck me as quite different than a lot of his contemporaries, which I talked to him about as well. This episode was made during my little podcast tour of the South and the Midwest about a month and a half ago. And I hope to do more tours like this where I go to several cities in the same trip to talk to lots of our favorite players. And if you guys want to help make that possible, uh, there are ways to support the podcast. At Patreon, it is TLS Podcast. At PayPal, it is the Lowdown Society at gmail.com. Cash App is dollar sign TLS Podcast. And at Venmo, it's just my name at Victor Broden. So those are the way to support the podcast and make more episodes like this one happen. If you feel so inclined, of course. Well, I'm done uh, babbling and yapping. We'll go straight to Pigeon Forge outside uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And Mr. Mark Childers. Enjoy. So we are officially back with the Lowdown Society podcast, and we are out in beautiful Leapers Fork, Tennessee, which is about, what, 25 miles from downtown Nashville? That's about right, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is uh, a mecca for weekend uh, pleasure drivers, motorcyclists, and quite a few celebrities. I know that, I think, Winona Judd and Justin Timberlake and... Uh, uh, Michael McDonald, all have houses around here. Mm -hmm. But that's not important today because we're here to talk with Mr. Mark Childers, who I've known for 20 years. Welcome, Mark. Hi. Hey. Uh, we are at his lovely new house and um, in his studio, actually, that's about to get built, it looks like, or halfway there. Yeah, it's close. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's you know, it looks kind of shabby right now, but it's going to look better in about two months. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, what I, I sort of wanted to, I figured out a few days ago when we agreed on, on doing this that I was going to do the selfish thing about me starting to talk um, because there's, uh, there's two things I remember about you when I talk to other bass players about either my career or the gear I use, your name comes up all the time. Oh, wow. And the first one is when I moved to Nashville, I was 27 going on 28. And uh, I moved in with a guitar player who at the time had a lead guitar gig for a female singer who had just had a number one single. The singer was Shelley Wright and, this, and the single was Single Life Female. Yeah. And it was about six months into the touring cycle of that single and it was starting to come off. And I was a new kid in town with completely zero references of playing with anyone well known whatsoever. Uh, but Shane, my roommate, was like, you can, you can play, and you know, you're a nice guy, you, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure your name get passed around, but 
on my gig, our bass player is so good and he's so in demand that mm. even though our <laughs> artist just had a number one, I bet you he's going to leave soon. Because oh, he keeps getting offers uh, from the CCM world a lot, he said. And he just said this pretty much right away. And nine months later, that exact thing happened. And uh, do you remember what offer you got at the time? Yeah, um, well, I'd, before Shelley, I'd been in CCM world all through the 90s, which was the heyday of a lot of genres, especially um, uh, Christian music and then also country, too. It was just a heyday for music in general. But um, I moved to town after playing with a group called, the name of it was Truth, they're from Mobile, Alabama, and they did churches every night. So, like, it was every night for 300 nights a year. Like, you'd have a day off every 10 days, and that, that was it. You just and stayed in host homes or whatever. So, I moved to town in the mindset of just playing CCN and just... And so I played on a different tour every fall, every spring, you know, just, it was just me and my brother, he was a drummer and this few managers do us and they would just throw us on different tours all the time. Well, things started changing and um, it started going into more of a praise and worship thing and not artist driven. And they kind of had in-house bands, so I had to figure out what I was going to do. So I uh, uh, met, well, I knew Jay DeMarcus from Rascal Flats and he actually was the one that hired me because before they were Rascal Flats, he and... Um, Joe Don Rooney. Well, Joe Don came later, but um, they were with Shelley. And so J uh, Jay hired me, and that was my getting my feet wet in the country music. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then after um, after a couple of years there, I was kind of doing a couple of tours here and there, and Shelley finally um, told me, look, you know, as all, all artists should do, it's like, or, or want to do, they, uh, they go, you're going to have to choose. So it's either you know, you're my bass player or, you know, you can be somebody else's bass player or whatever. And she didn't say it like that. It was, she was really sweet and really nice about it. But it was essentially like all musicians have to decide what am I going to do? And so I took another gig, um, cause basically because of, of, of two or three things, you know, a lot of musicians go, you know, as long as the hang's good, the music's good and the, and the, uh, and the pay is good, you know, two of those three things, if, if those things happen, then I'm good, and so the pay and the hang was good, and and uh, I'm not going to say who it was because I'm obviously saying the music wasn't great. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. but that's where I went, and so I did that, and then you know things evolved after that. You know, going you know playing for different people, whatever. But yeah, I remember I, hanging out with you back then. I remember we were just all into gear, all into bass. Like we you know, I'd come over to your place and we'd play all your basses and we'd just talk gear all the time. And I miss those days. Actually, I don't have. Very many, very many guys that, that I get to just yeah. hang out and do that with. I, I miss that too, and I think now a lot of people, they'll sit around with their own bass collection and go through and compare and do that thing that I enjoy so much and just do it on YouTube. But the great thing about doing that A-being, which I talk about in almost every episode for some reason, with a buddy, is that, and I do it a lot with guest number one on this podcast three years ago, uh, Jim Mayer from the Buffett Band. Him and I would get together and play each other's basses through each other's rigs. Mm. So even though our touch is different, uh, it so helps doing it with a buddy because when they play your bass through your rig, mm. you, you, your mind just blows up. You go, oh, well, right. I could maybe change that or, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm totally with you. I, I always like, when I'm in the store and I play, play a bass, if there's another bass player in there that, that I know is a good bass player, I'll hand it to them and just let, let me hear that bass even though it's not going to be the same with me playing it, I just want to hear it 
via a, another you know vessel because <laughs> yes. I want to I want I, I want to experience it you know in that way too. That's that's yeah. yeah. And so back then also, and this I quote this probably once a week the last twenty years because people always ask me when I play out like oh what's the tone what's the tone and. Um, the one thing, I'm sure you've moved on from this piece of gear, but I have not. You told me when I got the Shelly gig, I was very nervous because I'd never been on a proper tour bus in America. I just played, you know, RVs and van tours with top 40 bands full time the previous years. And, uh, and so basically, I think I said, any advice? And you said, yeah, there's one thing and it's like, sort of non-negotiable. And you said, I have this uh, compressor pedal by a Swedish company, EBS. And of course, me being Swedish, yeah. I, I knew all about EBS. Yeah. You know? and, he's, and, and, uh, and you said, if it's not on, Shelly, who at the time was, I think, 26, 27-year-old woman, mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah. uh, you said Shelly will hear it in her ears if you don't have that compressor on. Right. So, the only thing you got to do to start this gig is, you know, learn the songs and just buy this one pretty expensive piece of gear. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she it was amazing. Her ears were were amazing. Like she yeah. she could hear all that stuff. And, and she was the first artist that actually would listen to the bass player and had it in her ears that I experienced. And would look back at me and, and like you know nod and be like that sounds awesome or you know or you know doesn't sound awesome whatever it is like yeah. if I missed a note or whatever she. She kind of, you know, looked at me a little bit, but it was just, uh, you know, it, it was it was cool to have an artist that really listened. Them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. She she would, uh, uh, I would. I remember, like any artist gig I get, I always listen to the board tapes, recent board tapes, what the show has become, and then I listen to the parts on the record, and then I see what I prefer. And in your case, I knew that they were all in love with your playing, so I leaned more towards where you had played. Mm. And again, it was my first gig, so for me it was life or death. Like, if I screw this up, I'll never work in this town again, <laughs> type of thing, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but yeah, there was, there was a lot of cool little bass things in those songs that you did that were not on the records that leaned way more in the soul R&B direction yeah. uh, because you come from a lot of CCM gospel yeah. and that's something I really want to talk about because 90s country is still some of my favorite music on earth mm-hmm. I listened to it a lot last week even mm-hmm. especially since I moved away to Los Angeles and I no longer work with any kind of country music mm-hmm. I listen to country again for joy mm-hmm. as a consumer mm-hmm. and I always go back to the 90s stuff because and even as somebody who occasionally sits in a studio setting, the mixes are just so open and clear and everything has its place and, and there's dynamics. Mm-hmm. Not everything is like a 10 right. all the time. And right. There's so much great things about 90s country, but the one thing that maybe wasn't so great is drums and bass are usually very, very stiff and sort of on the clock. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those records of Shelley's, they had uh, Eddie Bears on drums, and they had that 90s stiffness mm-hmm. that maybe wasn't my favorite sound. So when I heard those songs live with you playing them, I'm like, okay, this is better than the record. This is more <laughs> uh, soulful. So, and that was also the other thing I noticed about you, not just with, uh, with Shelly, but I go, here's a, a white cat that sounds like he's been around gospel or black gospel before. Can you tell us about like growing up and how that came to be? Yeah, uh, you know, it's funny. It's like when I, when I first started playing with Shelly, 
I'd never, I, I really never listened to a traditional country ever. Like my mom and dad would listen to a couple things here and there and my granddaddy would have the Opry on. And so I'd hear stuff there, but that was kind of before I started playing bass. But when I started playing bass, um, I was in ninth grade and I, I was interested in bass, but I never, never really, never really got into just learning. So um, I walked in a, a, a store that a friend of mine managed and um, I walked in there and all of a sudden I heard this, uh, this whatever technique back then, I didn't know what it was, but of course it was just slapping. But it was just, um, all, I asked my friend, who's, what music's on here right now? And he pulled out a cassette tape and it was the whinings. And mm-hmm. so um, there's a song called Fallow Ground and Abraham Laboreal Sr. You know, mm-hmm. uh, was, was on it. And I was like, what in the world? Like I was just, I was like, I just didn't, I, you, know, Larry, you know, Larry Graham, you know, introduced that a long time ago, but I was just kind of, New into just getting into bass, and so I, um, I just took that cassette and let me have it, and I just ate it up. I was just like, I love this stuff. And then, after a few years of you know trying to dig around among you know trying to figure out what to listen to music wise and that kind of thing, I'd listen to classic rock, I'd listen to a lot of R and B um, and, and the gospel, and um, and so I went to college. And in my first year, I started playing with this group called Harvest, and um, and friend of mine it's still to this day we, um, we talk about once every two months three months and he's a he's a great friend of mine but he's the the, um, um, uh, the choir director for this um, uh, choir called evangelistics and um, and so he, he, was, he was like um, do you want to you know you want to be roommates I was like yeah let's do that. that that'd be great and he introduced me to all this amazing gospel music like he just fed me everything just like from I mean from Milton Brunson to um, LMS choir to um, you know commissioned before you know then after that after commission read Fred Hammond and Marvin Sapp and all these guys I just listened to everything he could um, he, he would give me and and I so I got me a Ken Smith bass five string and I started playing that all the time and, and Ricky Minor became my guy because he had a Ken Smith bass five string and he was playing with Whitney Houston at the time and and being you know, maestro with everything he was doing. So I was just, you know, just learning as much as I could and all that, that kind of stuff. And then when I got with Shelly, the very first tour in country that I did was with her and I, we, we did these bars. And so there's four bands playing in these bars um, and it was a small little stage and all these other guys that have been in country all their life. And I come in and I start, you know, playing her music with my ideas or whatever. And, and uh and um, so there's like Mark Chestnut was there and his band, um, Keith Harlan, I don't know if you remember him, he's way back, but, uh, um, he was there in his band, a guy named Pat Laster was playing for him and I, we became fast friends and, um, and then, uh, um, Al, uh, Alan, uh, gosh, Greg, uh, Gary Allen. Yeah. 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 So, uh, um, he was there too. And so. Um, it was just an amazing experience, but then, you know, I would play and everybody listened to everybody and all that kind of stuff and they'd, they'd come up and they, they, they would, uh, they would say like, it sounds like, like, let me see what you're playing. Like they'll, they'll have me play a couple of things and I'd play and, and it was the other bass players, you know, we'd hang out and talk, whatever. And they're like, it kind of sounds like, you know, it's a fretted bass, but it kind of sounds fretlessy, that kind of thing. And I, you know, that's just how I played then. And, and, uh, they, they, they wouldn't just like all musicians that want to um, 
help the other person. Like that, you, you don't want to just tell them, "Hey, you're doing that wrong. You need to you gotta you gotta play like this with with this kind of music, whatever." They just they they definitely enjoyed, you know, complimented that kind of thing, and always you know made me feel great. But then I realized after listening to them and how great they were, I was like, and how they would play the lines in this country music, I would I would go, I, I feel it totally different. And I think if I want to play, if I want longevity in this, in this industry, I feel like I got to change what I'm doing because what I'm hearing that them do, I like better than what I'm doing. And it might sound cool at, at you know, now and, and Shelly's music for some reason, it lended itself where I could do some stuff and she liked it and there, it was working. But I, I tried that in a couple other one-off gigs, showcases, whatever. And I was like, I don't think this is working. And, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work all the time. And, and I, I had to change what I was doing. So um, that's a long answer to your question, but, or to whatever, whatever I can't yeah. remember was a question or not. But it, that, that, that was the mindset. And I, I you know, I, I actually would like to have been in R&B, you know, in, in, my, in, in my career or whatever, but my path just didn't take that, you know. I got to play with a, a couple different people that were, you know, like BB, I mean not BB, but uh, CC ones. I got to do a house band with some, so that that kind of thing, and some other other artists that were, you know, that kind of was stuff I grew up with, and that kind of learned how to play. But um, but yeah, it's like it just my path was different, and but you know, just kind of figured it out, I guess. My big takeaway, you know, uh, the people that listen know because I mention it often, but I grew up on, I didn't grow up on gospel mm. per se, but I, my dad played me a lot of Memphis soul, kind of the more simple, straightforward uh, stack stuff. Mm. So a lot of Sam and Dave and Otis mm -hmm. Redding and all that, that's in my backbone. So when I came to Nashville after playing a lot of hard rock and heavy metal for many years, which was the other side of me. Mm. I came to Nashville and my ears were really quickly attracted to your playing because I, I heard, I heard, I mean, it was gospel, but mm. what I, I heard it as, oh, he's a country guy that plays like soulfully, mm. like, like soul. Well, so that's soul. why I was instantly yeah. attracted to your playing. You know? Well, I, I appreciate that. That's, I, I wish I had grown up more of that in Sam and Dave stuff. Like I should have, you know, branched off into other genres. That, you know, once you get old, older, you realize, oh, this is where I kind of missed certain parts of music that I yes. needed to listen to and that kind of thing. And so I've, I've done some of that since then. And and uh, but yeah, it's that's yeah. I wish I had done that earlier in my life. Yeah, <clears throat> I think one of my other guests here in Nashville that I did about a year ago, Anton Nesbitt, he played for BB or CC One quite a bit, mm. or still does. He plays for Leon Rhymes now, so. Mm. But uh, he's a great player in that vein here in this city. He's Anton, uh, if you're familiar with him. Yep. He's yep, great. Yep. The last time I saw you face-to-face -face must have been, in your way of thinking, two tours ago, I think, <laughs> in Kansas City. Yeah. Uh, you were kind enough to have us on the guest list, me and my then-girlfriend. And uh, uh, we were at a Carrie Underwood Arena show. It wasn't the latest tour, but maybe the one before that. I remember there was uh, a storyteller. There was an airplane. Yeah, airplane. No, yeah. There, there was. Oh, it was before that. Flying, flying car. Oh, flying car, flying truck. Yes, play on tour. Yeah, so yeah. she was on that. Yeah. yeah. Or was it the fly? We had a flying stage too. One, one tour was it? 
That was one, it, I don't think it was. So that was, yeah, that was, that was several years ago. Several like, tours ago. Though. Yeah, like yeah. four tours ago. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you have, and I remember, I was a musical director for a brand new artist at the time on RCA in 2006. Jake Owen, he's done well since. Mm-hmm. But I was MDing that first year, and I remember that's right when Carrie came out, because we would play on a lot of those big stadium builds, sort of in the middle of the day before people show up, right before you guys, because she wasn't big yet. Right. She was, she was quickly rising, but it was her early days. Mm-hmm. So is that when you joined her camp, 06 or 05? 05, so like, um, um, yeah, the uh, October 15th, 2005, we were hired a couple, you know, about a month before that, and we were just rehearsing the stuff. And then she and her management team and CMT all came in, and they were filming. And we had, we had not met her, so we we met her the first time that day. And and she uh, just got on stage, ready to sing. We played the whole album, and they were they were like, okay, um, great to meet everybody. See you later. And yeah, so they left, and um, we we're just there and like did they like us yeah. <laughs> but but obviously they did and they were like you know it was it was all good and, and it was a whirlwind from from then i mean we played every late night show every i mean we did snl twice we did you know it's like just it just was like non-stop for for a, a long time and it, it, it was it was a beautiful thing too it was, it was so a lot of stuff I never got to experience, you know, with any other artist. Um, I had played Letterman once before, but but just um, how she went from winter to 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 just her career and how she's blossomed from that. Even now, it's like it's it it, it it's no wonder that she won. She, it, it, you know, maybe the fans didn't see what I see when it comes to her, how talented she is with just writing and producing and, and just when, when she comes up with ideas on the spot, you know, well, it's, yeah, it's like, it's, it's she would have been an artist like she is now, regardless of whether she won or not, won idol or not. She just was, she's just that good. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a blast. So we're in that initial band playing the set one time for management. Mm-hmm. Were you MD then? Did you did you put that crew together? No, no, no. Uh, uh, there's another guy named. Um, do you know Mark Oakley? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mark, Mark put that crew together. Mark was with me on a previous artist that um, we, um, and actually he he decided to only play with this previous artist. This pre- previous artist, Shelley Fairchild. Do you remember her? Very well. Yeah. Uh, you, she's a good. She's a good friend. I worked yeah. with her a few months ago. Yeah. Great singer. Great performer. Like she. She would perform at two in the afternoon at festivals, and there would be nobody there. And then all of a sudden, people would be walking swiftly to get to see what's going on. Like she, she would, she was a great performer. Um, but we did Letterman with her, and Mark only. Well, he was like, "Well, if you're going to do Letterman, I'll, I'll come on and play with you guys." <laughs> so yeah. anyway, he uh, he did that, and then um, when he got the MD position, uh, I think via Dan Huff, maybe um, he uh, he. He hired his guys, and and you know we all had to. Uh, they had we had to make sure that we were you know okay to um, uh, like they had to, they had to vet us a little bit, make sure we're, we're cool because you know you, you never you know how it is. It, there's so many great people in Nashville, so many great musicians, but 
um, you have to know how to live with each other on the road and that kind of thing. So yeah. I, I, they they figured out we're all good. And so, um, yeah, it was, but nine months into it, um, I became band leader. Um, Mark went on with Gretchen Wilson and and um, just kind of, you know, that's it's been, you know, it's been ever since uh, 2006 I've been band leader. Yeah, yeah, so that's 14 years yeah. of band leading. Yeah. So uh, I know, especially in that initial few years, because we did some shows together, her management team seemed very uh, present in artistic decisions. Mm -hmm. Did you, uh, can you speak about how it is as an MD for such a big artist to uh, get your own will to match with mm. the artist's will to match with a maybe overprotective management company. <laughs> well, management companies are um, typically protective. They're, you know, they, they have to be. That's just yeah. the nature of the business. Um, but when it comes to my will, like I think I've band-led most artists that I've been with. I think that's only because I... Uh, it's I, I I understand that this is not my artistry. Like what I'm here to to um, to serve a purpose of making making everybody the best they can be when it comes to the band and when it comes to what um, the artist wants. And so um, when it comes to the artistry and and management and it's it it really feels like a team. Like they do li like when we're in in a meeting before a tour and we're they have ideas as a creative director and um Barry Layer. And he's he's phenomenal. He's he's so talented. He's he's a dancer from way back and um he used to dance with um uh Janet Jackson I believe and uh he did creative stuff for um Usher and like he's a brilliant guy. So he has a lot of ideas. Um of course Terry has a lot of ideas and and her management, Anna Inblue, she she is a a brilliant when it comes to um, um, the, a big picture of just of, and, and knowing music and knowing and being able to to know when something's good or not, and I'm, it's and so it uh it, it's it's a it's a team effort in a big way, and then we all throw out ideas, and then you know I'll throw out half a dozen ideas maybe, and you know or a dozen ideas and half a dozen you know they may not may not even comment on, but there's always two or three that go oh. Well, that might be cool, and we'll, we'll, you know, but it's, it's, it's a process, you know, you, you, and it's a team process. So that, that's kind of how I go about it. I, I never, I never insert my will, that kind of thing, because I just feel like I, I want it. I want everybody to feel like they're, they're, um, like they can easily um, um, get what they're envisioning. You know what I'm saying? That's. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, how many months or weeks is production rehearsals for one of your tours at this level? Because mm -hmm. I know 2006, 2007 is not like 2017 or 18. You know? Yeah, she's got she's gone quite far since. Yeah, she's. Uh, it takes it's a process. Like, um, it probably takes a couple of months of pre-production before you even get into rehearsals. Of um, a lot of times, the band will go. We'll. we'll um, have rehearsals just to learn whatever new record there is. I'm like, we'll 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 learn the whole record and and record it and just kind of listen to it to ourselves and and make sure we're we're hitting on it, you know. And then, um, but for a couple of months even after that, there's there's uh, 
I will create like the ideas that are laid out, like that Barry has or whoever has that or Carrie has. They will. Well, I'll write them down on, on a sheet of paper, and then I'll come to my studio and I'll create um, uh, stuff like for ward, wardrobe changes that she has that, that where we have to have a minute and a half of just music. Like, what are we going to do there? So I'll do that and like an opening for the show, and and um, and so there's a lot of music to create in between songs and that kind of stuff. So I'll I'll submit stuff, you know, and you know um, sometimes they'll be like, well this feels right but not perfect yet or whatever and they'll give me suggestions of what they feel like would mm-hmm. would help you know and then I'll resubmit and sometimes I'll submit something that's glorious at the beginning it's like oh great you know you know and um so it, but it's a process and so it takes about two months and then after that um we'll get in there and just rehearse it for a week with the band um and Carrie will come in and, and do that and then um probably another uh that might be a couple weeks and then another a couple of weeks of production rehearsals. Yeah, it's just a it's a process for sure. But it's 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 a fun process because you know that's in the last two tours we've done in the round tours, and that's I think pretty much everybody's favorite because you get to see so much more of the crowd and you get to move around to the other side of the venue on the floor there you know that where the stage um, juts out and so it's it's great. It's when it comes to your current setup. Uh, on the last tour, bass-wise mm-hmm. and equipment-wise and DI and and is there is there IRs? Is there amps? What's the, what's your setup? Yeah, so my setup, I went back to because we don't have amps on stage or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so two tours ago, Storyteller tour, we went to, um, using Fractals, which mm-hmm. is like Kemper, but it's just you know, yeah. different company. And they're they're awesome. They're they're super super great and. Um, uh, so five of us would be going through those. That was two tours ago. But um, for bass, I didn't love it as much as I as what I used to, you know, have before that when it comes to my DI and, and amp. But we weren't doing any, doing amps anymore. So I pretty much went back to a pedal board and I use uh, T Garden Audio, a fat a fat boy mm-hmm. um, made locally here in Nashville. Yeah, yeah. Brett T Garden. He's a uh, incredible at, at doing that stuff and but I've been using I used that and I had um, light compression from a um, Cali 76 mm-hmm. um, uh, which I've never had honestly since the EBS that I showed you then I didn't use a compressor at all and then and then I started using this one but I'm going back to not use compression again because I it, for some reason for me and how I play I just I just I, I want to work harder you know what I'm saying and, and and I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I just, I feel like I need to be more physical and, 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 and so I, I feel like compression was giving me a easy out, you know, even though it sounds awesome and yeah. like compression, nobody really hears, but it's, I don't know, I just stopped using compression. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. It's just, just the, oh, I had a second DI, which is Sans Amp DI mm-hmm. and I was just, um, turn up the overdrive a bit just to have my, kind of an amp signal mm-hmm. sounding thing and I'll blend those two together and that, that'd be it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, on the Fat Boy, because mm-hmm. uh, I know all the bass players around Nashville really know about that DI and it's very common here in the studios mm-hmm. but for people listening uh, in the other places of the world where this is, is tractioning, what existing DI from the from the historic past of DIs did you compare the Fat Boy to, or 
how would you compare it to what did, what the eye used before for clean mm -hmm. and why did you change? Yeah, you know what's funny is that okay, so I used hope I can remember this name. Did it, uh, oh yeah, okay, I used a dimmer DI that mm -hmm. V something. Do you remember those? Mm -hmm. They weren't necessarily just bass. They were for lots of things, but it's not. I, like, I love that DI there. So I used that, and then I, I got him um, from the Ellen Show. They used to work on the Ellen Show. You might know. Um, his last name was uh, shoot, I can't remember. He was making these um, Neve boxes, and Jada Marcus from Rascal Flatts turned me on to him. And um, it was a, it was cigarette boxes what he did initially. It was a Neve components and that kind of thing. And heard Jay's bass through it, and I was like, you know, dude, you know, I just wanted to get one, so I got that from him. And um, it was in a metal box though, so more for tour. And mm -hmm. so I used that for a long time, and all of a sudden. It, the capacitor, some, something went out in it at the most inopportune time ever. And it went out, at the, at, we were doing a crossroads with uh, Steven Tyler. Mm -hmm. And we, we had rehearsed for the three or four days prior to the live showing. And we start out with um, Sweet Emotion. So the whole live, beginning of the live thing was, you know, it's like, and so I was playing that line and, and I could hear it crack crack like there's something cracking um but i didn't think anybody could, could notice it i thought I, and i didn't know what it was really so i played it and then when we got into the chorus all of a sudden it went completely out and just that that box it, it wasn't you know it wasn't a bad design or anything it was just old and i didn't take care of it and i just and i never even you know what i'm saying it was, my, it was pilot error i had to stop playing and we I, everybody, everybody's trying to figure out what was going on. We didn't know what was going on, and so they figured it out. But they figured out third song into it. So third, third song for the rest of the set was good. And then I had at the end, of, at the end of the the set, Stephen and Carrie, they're all gone, probably back to the buses or whatever. And I, had, I went to the producer. I was like, "Do you have no bass on the first two songs?" And I know you're going to re-air this thing a million times or whatever. So, uh, uh, is there any way they can come back out and do the first two songs? <laughs> <laughs> Me, the bass player is asking if Steven Tyler and Carrie would yeah. come back out and do the first two songs again and they didn't have to do it but they were gracious and were so cool came back out we knocked those two songs out and you know so what lives on online right now is is, some, is the first two songs with bass that DI was the need DI that, that okay. front, and, and and there's, I just, you know, needs can be, you know, they're great, but, but old knee components can, can mess up on you, you know, pretty easily. But it was great for a year, you know, year and a half, two years. Like I had no problems with it all. I thought it was, you know, a Mack truck. I thought this, this thing's awesome. And then it was the, it was, it, you know, I should have, I should have just, I don't know. I don't know what I could, what I could have done because I tested it the whole week and, and, it was good for a long time, but it, you know, whatever. It did what it did. <laughs> so when it comes to the Fat Boy, then uh, I know they make two versions of that, right? With two different transformers, or right? Yeah. Do you know which one you have? And if you don't, that's cool. I know that I got the the latest version because I had like the early version, and then he had a high. Yeah, I think there was he had three versions at one time, which he just it was like a transitional version. So he had one that was, and I don't know much about the transformers. I just know that. One was maybe all metal, and mm -hmm. one was all something else. Mm -hmm. And then 
Yeah, and there's a blend of the two in between. But yeah, whatever the latest one is, got the latest one, and and I've been happy with it. I mean, it's it's you know every time I plug it in, I don't do a ton of sessions because yeah. everybody feels like I'm on the road all the time. Yeah. Um, but but uh, but when I do, uh, engineers always seem to be really happy with it. And live, they're always happy with it too. So. So would you describe it as more vintage and fat, or more modern and clean? Ah, uh, man, that's. We, I get nerdy on this podcast. Yeah, no, it's good. You know, I'm, I'm, I used to be that. I used to think about those things, and I think it, it definitely is. It, it's fat, but there's a modern thing to it that I like. That I, that it's, it's a little of both. That, um, that it's not like the James Demner seemed like it was for me. It was real modern and had that that um, focused thing going on. Um, this still had its focus, but it's definitely fatter, which I think I really love. I, you know, it's like, I, I do love a really warm, fat, you know, vintage sound. I think live sometimes, I, you have to find the balance of that, especially in an arena, because an arena is notorious for losing bass, even though um, the guy that we, Tim Holder, our, our front of house guy now, he's, he's a freaking magician when it comes to just bass in an arena it's like it's it's it blows my mind when it does but uh yeah so um it's kind of a blend of the two in in, in a great way to me that's good to know yeah because everyone is always looking for the next great di and mm. and uh, it's interesting how you were sort of made to get a new one you know? yeah <laughs> uh i'm using um and actually I've heard of it, but the first guy I saw using it a lot is the guy I'm interviewed tomorrow, Brian Allen, oh, yeah. who you know plays for Robin Ford and some of sessions here in town. I saw him use uh, a box I was hip to, but I've never seen anyone use it, mm. and that is the Acme DI called the Motown DI from mm. Detroit. Mm. It's built in like an old school military green sort of first aid kit box, mm. and it's fairly inexpensive, it's 400 bucks. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's an exact recreation of what the Motown studio in Detroit built and to run uh, guitar and bass through. Wow. I need to hear they that. Sort, yeah, they sourced the parts from the same guy who's still who's 90 years old and hasn't made those parts, capacitors and such, in a few years. They made him like show them how to start making them again. Mm. Uh, and it's interesting. I've used it now for about a year. And it's definitely not fat, and it's definitely not modern in Sicily either. Mm. It just has a very sort of, not angry, but very sort of look at me type of low mid mm. that I really like. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it probably works well in the in the mix. Yeah, and I, yeah. and so when I record at home, I, I I do my clean sound through that. And it doesn't do the big scoops Marcus Miller clean, you know. Yeah. yeah. But it does a nice finger style, you know, honky cleaning. Mm. And then I run my version of the sand stamp, which is an MXR M80. It's the same box basically, does the same thing, mm. uh, to a different channel. So, but I am looking for a DI that that would maybe do the opposite of the one that I have. So yeah. I'm looking at that. Nice. Yeah, I'm check that out. That sounds. It's fun. fun. But I won't, I won't change, Brett. In case you're listening, I'm not going to change my deal. No, he... he <laughs> yeah, if, if you have one on tour, your front of house guy won't allow you to change. That's right. <laughs> we, I had that talk again with the Jim Mayer a few years ago about how Buffett's front of house guy, you know, because they have 1850 or 18 people on stage and everyone's 
sound, including his, has to be mm. in a very, yeah. you know, you can't have this, yeah. you know, Billy Sheehan, lots of lows and lots of highs. You got to have a very yeah. specific sound. And, and he said, you know, whatever we play in production rehearsal, if we find a new bass, at a pawn shop three months into touring, they don't they don't much care for that. Oh yeah, right. I bet. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you know. they 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 once they like what they like, it's yeah. like you know, yeah, it's it's a you know, it's like an act of Congress trying to yeah change. Even though our front house guy, he's he's real cool about that kind of stuff, but you know, it's like yeah, you gotta you gotta you know, not change too often just because you know it's 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 more about the show. You know, yeah. you gotta make sure everybody's you know. You know, bat a thousand. So, yeah. yeah. So that was whatever you have on the floor and how you record. So we got to move over to the bass guitars now. All right. There is six right behind yeah, your head. There's six. I got a couple that are not in here. I've sold actually about 10 in the last two months. Yeah. Because as you can see, this room, you know, it's, it's a cool space, but it's, it's not big. And I realized I could just hang all the guitars on the walls if I wanted to and that kind of yeah. thing. But it was a new house and I didn't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um... I, uh, and I honestly, uh, anytime I get too many bases, I go, I need to just pare it down to what I really use. And, and yeah. I start getting a little anxious about that stuff. And so I, I start selling off stuff and, and get to what, what I really use. So that, that's kind of why there's six here and I got two that are in the shop right now kind of getting worked on. Yeah. So I feel like every time I see you on TV, and I'm probably not paying fully attention either, but I feel like I see you with a different instrument a lot, which mm -hmm. I'm that guy too. Mm -hmm. I, 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 there's, you won't see me with my number one all the time or anything like that. <laughs> I like to switch it up. So what are your current few bases that I'm, I, we might see you with if we were to look in the next few months, if there were shows? In the next few months, yeah. I, I've been mostly P-bass guy for a while now, and... Um, so I've been, if, if you see me with a different bass, it's probably a different P bass. Like I've, I've had, you know, 76 P bass that was like a swamp ash body with the maple board, which obviously sounds different than a, than a P bass with the alder body and the maple board. You know, and then I've got this, uh, I had this P bass that actually traded for this other one here, but a 64 that I had that was, um, you know, just a normal 64 P bass. But um, yeah, usually it's just a bunch of different P bass. So it, will, it is definitely different basses, but it's, they're all P's usually, but there is a Sir um, company that serve guitars. Mm -hmm. They do mostly guitars. They do. They've done a few basses over the last, well, several lot, lots of years, but they haven't done a ton of. They maybe do four basses a year. So mm -hmm. our guitar player was playing Sir, and so we went to the, um, to the company and we hung out there and did a little um, uh, little showcase or what do you whatever you call it for. For them and playing their bass and let me um, use one of their basses so I, I used one of their jazz with their jazz bass i saw that yesterday yeah yes. yeah so I, I used that jazz bass on on tour and on some songs but i'm mostly p bass i'm trying to, to build a p, a p bass so mm -hmm. they haven't done it yet so uh i have a thread on my phone with 32 bass players in la in it mm -hmm. and every day it's popping off a lot yeah and it's uh, it's all that it's it's all the the cool guys and then me that get to look at it. But um, John Button that plays for the Who, 
he was spamming our thread last night with, he sent a video to Sir, because they are insisting on building him an exact replica of a 65. Oh, wow. oh right? yeah. So they took his 65P, Sir yeah. did, yeah. to take the exact measurements of everything. Yeah. So he's back at his house, and Sir calls him and goes, which position would you like the J pickup in? <laughs> so he made a video where he puts his finger between the pickup and he, uh, he slowly moves it towards the bridge. Mm -hmm. He goes, I'm thinking right about, he rolls it off the back of the base, <laughs> off the back of the table and into the trash can. <laughs> right there. Perfect. That's it. Yeah, I got that video last night. I'll show it to you when we're done. Are they going to make one for him? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well. They're going to remake his 65. And, and nice. Yeah. Well, that's what I have now is a 65 that I, it's an all original. The other one was a refin, but this one's all original and, and it's got flats on it. It'll, it'll probably keep flats on it for, for the rest of his life. But um, yeah, just it's, it's killer. Yeah. Yeah. And so with Carrie, do you have any force? strong B through D at all, or? Yeah, no, but what I've done mostly is because of Judy Slois, um, who is, plays on a lot of her stuff, mm -hmm. her recordings, um, he always detuned a lot. Like I, I'd heard way back in the day, I don't know if he does as much now, um, I think he does an E flat, you know, in standard tuning. Um, and then, but I do uh, like a um, DGFC, mm -hmm. um, so it's a whole step down mainly. And then I do have a music man that, from the uh, early '80s that is down a minor third, so okay. it's C sharp. And then I have a hip shot on that that goes to a B. Mm -hmm. So I've done that a lot, and um, it works on some bases. And it, it, oh, it, some bases say no to it right yeah, away. Yeah, right exactly. away. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, and I've, I've, I've but. Uh, I'm trying to get back to standard tuning because, and I'm not trying, I could just do it today, but it's like I, 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 I've I done it so long, especially with Carrie's music, that um, it's a whole, it's, it, it's a learning curve. I have to play a five string if I'm going to do that, which five strings, the E flat on five strings on most every five string that I've ever played, I hate. So, you know, um, there's a couple songs that I, I just wouldn't, for me, it, would, it just wouldn't be what I wanted, you know, because the guttural sound that I love on a P bass that's down a whole step and I'm playing um, an uh, F minor, then I hit that e, e flat, which is, you know, on a standard tuning is an F, so, you, you know, I'm going F G, but it's the E flat F, you know, it's just the sound of that is just, to me, I just love it. So, but it's on a five string, if I'm hitting the normal standard tuning E F, you know, is, uh, it's, it just is, doesn't have that, that throaty, it doesn't, it's not as supported or whatever, you know. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah. So I, I've got two five strings. One's a fretless that Rick Turner that I've had forever. I'm I'm, I'm very is, familiar with that exact bass. Oh yeah. I, I've known about you having it, and I think we've talked about it. Yeah. Even, you and I. I love I love that bass so much, um, and it's because it, it's the perfect thing for an acoustic set. And she does Carrie does a lot of acoustic sets, and, and I, but it doesn't it doesn't it's semi hollow body, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have a hole, so it won't. You know, feedback or anything like that and it's got a piezo bridge and but if it's if i don't turn the highs up too much it just has a really it blends in great with acoustic instruments and so i really like it and the other five string is the roscoe back that i just got a i don't know nine months ago and it's probably my favorite five string just to you know um messing around with but i i don't i used it a couple times at a preds game when i did some uh, house band stuff there, yeah. and, and uh, that was fun. And, and but yeah, it's 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 a great bass too. So yeah. 
Yeah, those are quite in demand right now, the Roscoe Becks. Yeah. Because they haven't been made for a long time. Right, yeah. And they got, you know, I always heard they had one good sound, but I, I found, you know, at three, like, it's it's a great, if you want a bass, that, a five-string bass that does a great, you know, P-bass P sound and, a, you know, a throaty, you know, bridge pickup sound, Jocko kind of thing, or like a, yeah. um, you know, and then just a slap sound or whatever. It's like it's it, it can do all of those things. There might be other bases that do one thing better than that, but it's but if you if you're doing like a, a corporate gig and you had to have all the all all the bells and whistles, you didn't want to change bases. That's the base. Yeah. yeah. So on the whole step and the three half step down bases, minor third down. Mm -hmm. uh, what gauge strings have you have you switched to heavier gauges on those then? Um, yeah, well, actually, on those bases, um, yeah, it, it's 105 is the, the E string. Mm -hmm. is, is so, but the, the, the um, D and G strings are heavier. So, the normal, and I honestly, I kind of right there, I, I can't remember the numbers on them, but if I, I use either, um, well, I use Diodarias, and they're, um, I can't remember the, I shouldn't remember this. Um, but anyway, that that's, uh, they, they are, um, let me get it real quick. Can we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me see. We've got it. <clears throat> NYXL. So, yeah, NYXL. So the G string is 50. And, yeah. uh, and the E string is 105. But um, it works great on these bases that I have. Now, I used to use um, Dean Markley, and it used to, they used to have to make one that goes 106. And I tried 107 to one and 110s on, on the low strings, but they're just too heavy of a gauge, and they didn't they didn't vibrate like I wanted them to vibrate. But Dean Markley used to make a 106. I don't think they make it anymore. So 105 is kind of where it landed. But because the the D, the D and G string are heavier, I think the tension on the neck yeah. makes it makes it makes it right. Yeah, I'm a big fan of 50 and 70 for for D and G, unless you're doing a lot of slapping that requires pull-offs and pop-offs mm -hmm. you know um, I just I just again coming from a lot of heavier rock too playing with a pick uh, it's naturally less low-end obviously mm -hmm. the fingers get a lot more low-end mm -hmm. so when I play with a pick especially when I go on the high strings of my basses when I play 50 and 70 I feel like it's almost like having a compressor on, like they fix the higher strings mm. to make them meatier yeah. and fit in more with the rest of the instrument. Yeah, yeah. So totally I, I used to play, you know, 50 through 105 or 50 through 110 when I was a kid, and I just kind of returned to it two years ago because mm. I'm playing way more four string now again in mm. LA. Mm -hmm. But, it, you know, all my 18 years in Nashville, I was 80% five string. So, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, at home for me, there's a lot of 50 through 110 and, and almost all my bases. I have eight right now that are all early 80s mm. Yamaha BBs. I love the BBs. I love the, them. The neck throughs and the, you know, they have the mid-range of a Spectre, they have the honkiness of a Fender. And, mm. and uh, yeah. so plus again, I'm playing a lot of rock now in LA and so I'm t diving back into what I saw my guys playing mm. in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. when I grew up so uh, and, and there's a market I shouldn't really broadcast this but all the Yamahas I bought in the last year off of eBay mm -hmm. have all 
that got off in value, yeah. and I did not buy them for any kind of investment purpose. Right. I bought them because I can't stop, and I'm not right ahead. So that's why <laughs> yeah, I bought right. them. Yeah, well, that's base players. That's that's yeah. base players in, in a nutshell. But yeah, they're, they're going up. And people always people our age that were around the first time they were around, mm. but I think younger guys now are all starting to figure out that in the early '80s there was this thing that almost overtook Fender for a while, and mm. for a reason. Mm -hmm. yeah. So they're they, yeah, they're really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they. Uh, I, I've had. Probably every BB from the 80s at one point or another, you know, from 2000, uh, you know, like a BB 2000 or BB 1600, which 1600 was my favorite one mm -hmm. that I had. It got stolen um, back, back in the day, I forget. But um, yeah, even the, the 300, the 400, the 450, the 800, the 1000, the 1100S. It's like, all, I, oh yeah, I was just, I was a huge fan. So, and yeah, I've had all those, but. The 1600 is basically the BB3000, the, the, the top model, but with saving money by not doing neck through. Mm. So it sounds a little bit more like a Fender, just mm -hmm. enough. Mm -hmm. And it weighs less. And, mm. you know, Tony, I have a 1984, which is what Tony Canal played on all the yeah. no doubt stuff. Wow. Yeah. So, you know. His tone was. Epic. Yeah, 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 that's the 1600. That's all. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's been my obsession at home. Mm. Uh, when you get to use amps, whether it's at a local club gig or when you get to shake your own ass and just really <laughs> enjoy that old school yeah. thing, uh, what 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 would be your preference? An amp? Yeah. Uh, I would I would have to say live. I, always an SVT behind me mm -hmm. would be would be awesome. Um, I've played through mm, what else? Um, Aguilar, mm -hmm. you know, I love those. Um, yeah. I've, uh, but I haven't done, like, a lot of places that I go and play, they'll have their own amp. And so yeah. I'll just plug into whatever that is. Yeah. And um, I think at the Preds game, that was, uh, it's like a... Uh, PV410, bring your own head is what it used to be. Yeah, they, yeah, still PV, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they have their own head now. They have, uh, I think it was an SVT head that they had there, like an older, it was an SVT, well... It was a newer version or something like that, but it, it sounded it sounded pretty good to me. I, yeah. I liked it, you know, especially yeah. you know the arena like that. You're just playing loud. Yeah, you play with Steve Mandela and those guys. Yeah, right? I mean, they yeah, I used to do that often. Oh, they're so they're fun. they're great on it. I mean, they just yeah. so talented. And yeah, John had to uh, he had something else he was doing, um, but they they had me fill in for him a couple times, and it's always such a joy for sure. Yeah. Have you ever, ever had to play the um, the Beast? Do you remember? You know that that it's a uh, it's a medley. Of, it's like a 10 minute medley and it's a it, it is they wanted me the first time I played with them wanted me to learn this medley and it's just it's a bunch of classic rock songs and stuff like that but it's the transitions you know all these things and I was going to play with them um, like they were like it was a day and a half before the show he's like can you can you learn this I was like sure I'll try whatever so I just you know and then I memorized it because I was like I don't want to be reading this big long chart on you know in, in the arena or whatever but it was it's a yeah it was, it was quite a challenge i've heard them play at third lindsley but yeah the beast gotcha yeah 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 it's fun yeah yeah i thought about having john on here as well you know yeah. i'm not back in nashville so much so i gotta take a few at a time yeah uh we're talking about a band here in nashville called six wire they were on some nbc tv show a few years ago about Next Great American Band. Yes. Yep. And uh, they were already in their early 40s, I think, or late 30s then. Yeah. But 
They, they used to be the backup band for a lot of humongous country artists, even back in the 90s, like Faith Hill, uh, some of them played with Alabama. Um, this just list goes on and on. So uh, those of you guys we talk about, and they have a trio version of this band called Small Town Time Rockstars, mm-hmm. and that's the trio that plays on our NHL, the Nashville Predators hockey games. Yeah. In case anyone is a base and hockey fan, yeah, I don't yeah. know what, you, what you're getting if you go to a game. <laughs> so <clears throat> as far as the future goes, without bringing up the obvious uh, sort of pandemic situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Musically, for you, since I assume it's not touring, what, mm-hmm. what, uh, what, what, uh, what are you doing, and, and what's what's in the future for you, sort of? Yeah, um, for me, I guess uh, well, I got some chickens. I'm raising some chickens, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, musically, um, I, I've been working on this project with a guy named Brian Paps, and he's from Michigan, and I've been um, uh, producing his six songs. We've been in this uh, studio that's literally right in the neighborhood here. It's got him Mike Latanzi, and um, he's he's from L.A. and he um, he has this big Neve console, and um, that he this, that Madonna's um, recorded through, and that, um, uh, Tom Petty and, and all these great artists. And he, he bought this console years ago and put it in storage. So when he moved to Nashville, he built himself a studio, and it's literally walking distance from here. And he um, We've been working on that and uh, with Brian, and um, but he's it's it is killer what he's getting in his, his sounds that, are, that he's getting in there. Um, but that's been taking up my time for the last month and a half, and we're I've done oh actually well actually um, he's he was recording DMX in that studio, but in between what we're doing, mm-hmm. and so he had to come play on a few songs DMX songs, <laughs> which was like. Yeah, I was so excited to do it. But they they recorded like twenty songs. So who knows if the three any of the three is going to make it on the record? But I hope it does because it's it's it was a lot of fun. And Near Z, um, yeah, he uh, he played on it. Um, but he he had already done his drums. I came in after the fact, and and um, so yeah, he, he near yeah, he just laid it down like nobody's business, and it just it was easy to track too so hopefully that'll make the record be cool yeah but stuff like that I mean it's a little stuff here here and there it's not nobody's working as much as they used to and and so we're just trying to figure it out you know yeah so well between chickens and DMX that's quite quite a varied life yeah well I I mentioned the chickens because like I feel like um, I'm uh, that's a lot of my time I'm I'm, I'm, you know raising family and chickens and you know out here in the country and just kind of you know Figuring things out during this pandemic, and yeah, yeah. Well, I think for a lot of us that left, that lived a fairly fast-paced life, you know, at least the first few months of it wasn't really any kind of mm-hmm. bummer, except for the health aspects of our fellow humans. Mm-hmm. You know, I know for me, I, I was enjoying, you know, I've been I've been messing around with video editing lately, and I've been messing around with photography for years. Mm-hmm. I'm doing more of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's nice, nice, nice to see what you got going on out here. Man, it, it's uh, I love. I've always wanted to be in the country. I always wanted yeah. to just have some some land or whatever, and, and never was able to do it. And it just worked out one time. And <clears throat> bought bought it like three, a little over three years ago, and just been a process getting out here because it's just, it's not an easy thing to to build out here in the country. But it, um, but yeah, it's 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 uh, it's 
where I was leading somewhere with that, and that was oh yeah, like um, the whole. I never thought in a million years that I always thought well, live music's going to be around always. Like I always thought nothing's going to take that away. People are always going to want to see a show. I thought you know, and then when the pandemic happened, I realized wow, how quick can things can change in in a, in a second, and mm-hmm. and you know, it's like it makes you realize what's important number one you know that I you know my 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 identity is not in music you know it's like I need to realize that I, I'm a musician but that's not who I am you know as a person so um but yeah that it's it's uh it, it's made a lot of people think around this country about you know what's important hopefully yeah I, I agree with that the whole identity being in music I think all my first 10 years of touring you know you identify a lot with either you, what organization you're a part of, mm-hmm. or the fact that you do it all the time. And, and I think a, a lot of us that, that, that are doing other things during the pandemic, a lot of musicians, we now, it has shown us what we can do when we're maybe so old that touring mm-hmm. isn't even feasible health-wise anymore. And now we have a little preview of mm-hmm. how we can do something productive instead <laughs> of scaring that day when it comes, because right. we've now gotten this like preview. Right. Yeah. That's the way I feel about it. Yeah. yeah. A lot of musicians, and I think it's been this way a lot of times. A lot of musicians, they always see, they always figure out how to how to make it work. They always kind of see the glass. People that I know see the glass half full. Like they, okay, this is a bad situation. Let's figure out what we can do to 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 make it good. You know what I'm saying? It's like I, there's a lot of people around me that that are that I feel like are, are working to figure out how to make things better you know what i'm saying yeah i feel like us musicians even what whatever level we might be at there's two things that people can always count on uh, us being solution driven glass half full like you said mm-hmm. um, and we're good at we get good at seeing things as glass half full we're good at hustling mm-hmm. which during this time a lot of people gotta hustle yeah and the third thing we can pack a car better than professional movie guys oh in a second. In a second. Yeah, but really, we, we, we yeah. see it. Yeah, we do. Yeah. People around us that are not musicians, yeah. they, don't, they don't know that. They, they, and they, they, they don't believe that. Like, you'll tell them, hey, I'm great at this. Especially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, that's, that's funny, yeah. I'm, I, I took pride in that early on about being able to pack a car. Yeah, yeah. And in my case, before cell phones, because I'm old, I was, I was always a designated map reader because mm-hmm. I get... I get pervertedly excited with printed maps. <laughs> it's like I really get turned on. Yeah. So yeah, that, yeah. that was my extra skill. So yeah, back nice. to all those things. <laughs> Mark, it was awesome that you took time out of your day huh. uh, to hang out with me. We were overdue anyway, so yeah. now other people got to hang out with us. So. Well, I appreciate you um, Let me do this. This has been fun. It's yeah, great I, to see you. You too. Yeah. All right, see you soon, bro. All right, bye. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. As usual, I appreciate the folks that have already supported the podcast. 
And again, if you feel inclined to do so, the ways to do so is on all our social media outlets. And it is also mentioned at the top of this podcast, obviously. Uh, I will be back with another episode in the next two weeks from this glorious tour I did of the South and the Midwest. So until then, keep it low, keep it funky, and I'll see you right back here at the Lowdown Society Podcast.